Hello, Grizzlies fans. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you to check out grizzden.com. We have a ton of new merchandise over there, especially our Merry Grizzmas series. This will make a perfect gift for the Grizzlies fan in your life. And if you get the order in now, they'll still be ready for your holiday parties. So I would check out grizzden.com. We actually have a promo code inside of this episode. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but it's somewhere in this episode. If you get this promo code and enter it into your next Grizzden order, you will save 7.3% in honor of the 73-point victory that the Grizzlies had against the Oklahoma City Thunder a short time ago. You will get 7.3% off your next order, but you got to listen to the episode to find this promo code. So head on over to grizzden.com and get the gift of Grizzlies for your friends and family today. Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. It is Thursday, December 9th. The Grizzlies are taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, If you're listening to this on Friday, that game will have already happened. We are discussing everything up to the Mavericks game, which happened Wednesday night, which is last night when we're recording. Ty Smith is in the house. What is up, my man? Not much. Just recovering from the loss last night. Ty was in the building, and we're going to get to that in a second. Brantley is not with us for this pod. However, he did have a birthday yesterday. So, birthday shout-out to Brantley Davidson. Uh, shoot him a tweet. <laughs> poke him on Facebook. Give him a poke. And uh, wish him a happy birthday. Uh, he'll be on the next one. We'll, we'll all be together. We've kind of had to do these uh, a little bit separated because of crazy schedules. And, you know, the Grizzlies, we're, we're in the, we're past the 25% of the way mark, which marks kind of the, the in-between of, you know, getting far enough into the season to actually be able to know what's real until Christmas time when some of the football playoff stuff are about to start and the Christmas Day games. That's when a lot of the general public starts to really pay attention and by then we've started to um, see, you know, where people are going to end up falling in the league. And um, we're going to get to all that. We're going to start with the Mavericks game, Ty. Uh, this was big for the Grizzlies uh, coming in. They were winners of five five straight. They have been without John Morant. He actually entered health and safety protocols yesterday, which if I were going to pick a time where he was going to do that during the season, I would have picked when he was hurt. Yeah, that's perfect. uh, Not too much to say about that. Hopefully it doesn't interfere with his timetable for a return. He has been vaccinated and apparently has also received the booster too. So he's doing everything he can um, to get back quickly. And the the turnaround for positive COVID exposure, whether that's a positive test or around someone that tested positive, the turn on is much quicker if you've been vaccinated versus a non-vaccinated person so lebron unless you're lebron Bron james which i think he is vaccinated but also he all it took was like literally 24 hours after he entered the protocols for him to be able to play and i think you know 
they, he might have some more flexibility than most players. Yeah, Jaws, a, he's a few years away from having that he's, type of... He's close, not quite to the Kings yeah. level, but um, yeah, I guess LeBron maybe would not have been cleared to play in this game, theoretically, were he not to have uh, yeah. you know, been at the caliber he is. And he's played even before that. He yeah. played uh, two nights ago against Boston, he or did. three nights ago against Boston. He did. Um, all right, so Ty, you were in the building last night. Uh, it was important because this is a division game. If we were to have beaten the Mavericks, we would at least have tied them for the season series. Uh, the, with the West being as crowded as it is, kind of every game matters within the conference, but every game, especially within the division, is going to matter. And the Grizzlies in the Southwest division with the Mavericks, those are the two teams that are going to be vying for the top position. And if you win your division, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a certain seed, but it does guarantee you a playoff spot. So basically our job should be focused on winning the division and that starts with the Mavericks. So um, it was an ugly game. A lot of uh, referee chicanery with a lot of, I don't know. I, I, I'll get to my thoughts in a minute, but I want to give you the floor to kind of explain what the vibe in the arena was like and what you saw uh, in the game as the Grizzlies fell to the Mavericks. So uh, me, I went with uh, three other friends, and one guy asked predictions before the game. He asked who's going to be the leading scorer on our team and what the final score is going to be and then like win or lose outcome. So I predicted Dylan to lead us in scoring, which he didn't. Um, I think Jaron did. Jaron did. Jaron had a really good night, actually. Um, looked really aggressive. It was awesome to see. But anyway, I predicted us to win 107-101. And no, we didn't win. And B, it was a little bit higher scoring than that. But I figured it was going to be kind of a, a slog fest. A little lower scoring. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was lower than what I predicted. And I predicted low. I thought 107-101 was going to be low. And what was the final? 104-96? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I figured it was going to be kind of, yeah, like a slog fest. I felt like we were going to kind of put them in the mud, do what we could there. Um, watching the game, it seemed like neither of us could make a shot in the first half. Uh, I'm not going to say this exactly correct, but it was like they were four for 16 or 17 from three to start. And we were like four for 15 in the first half to start. Second half, they basically hit for their first five threes and then that kind of like they kind of got out to a little lead there and then we never really could catch back up we made some runs but I think last night I mean people say this all the time it's truly a make or miss league and last night to me just from watching it without my phone in my face and without the box score in front of me and listening to Pete and Brevin it just seemed like they hit shots and we didn't um Luca was just they started just throwing it to him on like that short post where Kobe used to get the ball and Dylan was all over him, and he would just hit this turnaround fadeaway that, like, there was no chance that he'd been no making it to the rim. It. Yeah, and it just was perfect. Um, he had some timely threes, some loose ball stuff that they came up with um, and hit a three off of it. Um, we just couldn't hit a shot either. It seems like we had open looks all night. I think the biggest thing is Dallas is – maybe was projected to be like a lot better than us, but after watching both of our teams play and them at full strength, which will maybe come into your scheduling thing about our five game win streak. They were, they didn't have anyone out. Nothing, no one significant, at least they're pretty much full strength, had all their guys. We were missing three quality rotation players, one starter, maybe even a fourth quality rotation. If you include, include Zaire in that. 
Um, and we hung with them for sure. And just by watching it, they were definitely not leaps and bounds better than us. And I thought that was encouraging to see too. It was a pretty tight game. Got chippy towards the end. It's hard to tell watching live if y'all have been to a game before. It's just really hard to tell what's what from certain views of what's a foul, what's not a foul. Um, we clearly didn't like it. Uh, Dylan got ejected um, and then had some words to say afterwards that he'll probably get fined for. Yeah, um, yeah, he will. But to your point, it's it's us and Dallas in that division. That's those, those are the teams. Spurs are really down. New Orleans is a dumpster fire. Um, Houston, Houston, hey, seven or something like that. No, <laughs> they were literally one and eighteen. Now they're like seven and eighteen. Something's still really bad. That was going to be my trivia question, actually. For was you. it? If we had one last game, the trivia question was going to be, "What is the one NBA team that has a longer win streak than oh, the Grizzlies?" Yeah, it's yeah, be the Rockets. The Rockets. Um, but yeah, I think younger teams they would probably be on a on a more quick trajectory. They're trying to be good right away, more so that we're clearly not really trying to win titles right away. They seem to be kind of with the Porzingis stuff. Anyway, just it's cool to see that we're we're right there with them. Yeah, and besides Ja, I mean, you're looking at Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, Zaire Williams, all members of the front court rotation, and so Killian Tilly, if you. He got 19 minutes last night. like, And and obviously, Santi Aldama has been a part of the regular rotation in the last week. Uh, you're seeing just a lot of guys get major playing time that we haven't seen. And that's due to our injuries. Um, and I thought that, yeah, I mean, it was a low-scoring game. I think with Luka back, you had a feeling as if, you know, they, they definitely had the best player on the floor, potentially the best two players if Porzingis was out there. Uh, more of a debate there. But you knew that it had to be, you had to have a big night from pretty much everyone uh, in order to take Dallas down. You had to play defense well, which we did. I mean, we held them to 104. Uh, Tyus had a rough uh, shooting night. I mean, he always manages the game pretty well, but five points, 0 of 3 on threes. Jaron had 26. He did everything he could as far as scoring goes. And then Melton was the one where you kind of saw just nothing really fall for him. And Dylan did what Dylan uh, basically does, which is shoot under 40%, but also guarding the best player on the other team, doing his best there. And and Steven Adams in the past few games, we've seen him double-double a few times. He didn't, he didn't do that tonight. It was just one of those games, too, where, I mean, you've been on such a hot streak. You know that in the NBA, it's a long season. You're going to have these nights where you, you just – you can't make it a shot. And I think that's what we saw. It's make or miss. Like you said, Grizzlies shooting 29% from three and the Mavericks shooting 36%. I mean, yeah. And when you kind of, what you were saying, when you have guys out the way to like really be successful is, you know, the whole next man up thing, like the guys that usually maybe don't have such a huge burden, not only have to like adapt a burden, but also need to like really perform well. And if you look at our win streak, like, Bain has been just out of his mind. Like, he's been so good, and we've needed every bit of it, right? Last night, he was 5 for 15 from the floor, 1 for 3 from 3. Didn't even shoot a lot of threes. Um, had 14 points on 15 shots. Like, that's that's tough, right? When you're down starters and quality rotation players, you need those guys. You need Bain to go nuts. You need Dylan to have a really good night. You need Melton to come off the bench and just, like, really, really give you a lot. Um and they didn't, and that's okay. Like you said, there's going to be those nights. And, yeah, it was, it was an eight-point loss, and we had our chances. They out, I mean, they outscored us by seven in the fourth quarter. That was basically the difference in the game right there. Um, 
But yeah, we had our chances, just it didn't seem like we could hit shots when we needed them, and we lost. Yep. So hopefully we can turn it around against the Lakers. Uh, oddly enough, the Lakers' struggles are going to be very important for the Grizzlies as we have their first-round draft pick on this in this next year's draft. And also, I mean, we could be battling them for a tiebreak in the West as well. So it's it's really important to lock in tonight just like it was last night and hopefully it can turn around, especially with John Morant being out. Speaking of Jaw, I want to get to a tweet that I had uh, a couple or a few nights ago now, and the Grizzlies were deservedly so getting a lot of love uh, from fans because if your be- if your best player goes down, especially a player of Jaw's caliber, and uh, some of your your secondary guys aren't yet at the level in which you can rely on them uh, to to have a significant enough output night to night to turn into wins. I mean. They deserve all the credit in the world for winning five straight. But I, I just thought it to be very important to note who those wins were against. And so here was, here was my tweet. I said, this has been a crucial stretch and a fun one, I might add, for the Grizzlies without Jaw. But because the talk shows and podcasts won't be able to resist the are the Grizzlies better without Jaw question, let's remember who we've played since Morant's energy injury. Um, one adjustment I might make to that first tweet is, uh, mainly I was addressing Twitter rather than the talk shows and podcasts because, um, I would hope, I mean, I'm, I don't put anything past the media these days on, as far as storylines go, just watch first take every day. Um, but also, you know what, I'm actually just title our podcast today. Are the Grizzlies better without John Morant? Just to see, uh, what people say. So if you've made it to this point, uh, Sorry. That title was a joke, but of course the Grizzlies aren't better without John Morant. Uh, so against Sacramento on the 28th of November, they were missing two starters in Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes. They have the fifth worst net rating in the league, and they had fired Luke Walton seven days prior. That was the first win. Second win was at Toronto. Uh, OG Nanobi was injured. Gary Trent was out. Yuta Watanabe played the fifth most minutes, if that gives you... Uh, you know, any type of context for how that game went. And they're never going to be easy to play. So that's, I'll take a win anytime I can in Toronto, but that was the second win. Third win was the record 73-point victory against OKC. Insane. Uh, Just so wild. Let me read the starters from OKC. <laughs> Shea Gilgis alexander and Josh Giddy were out. So it was Ty Jerome, Trey Mann, Lou Dort, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Darius Baisley. If you don't follow the NBA obsessively, then you probably don't know who any of those guys are, yeah. which is not something to be ashamed of. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, the fourth win was against Dallas. It they didn't have Luca or or Porzingis. And then lastly, Miami. Bam Adebayo, who's such an important part of their defense, was injured. Jimmy Butler didn't play the second half of the game, and he had also been injured four days prior. He was slow. Um, so those are the five. Those are the five. Uh, five games that we won and my last tweet was don't fall for the hot hot takes has the jaw absence allowed for guys like jaron bain and dylan to get more offense of course has the whole team stepped up defensively absolutely did the grizzlies need jaw let's play an actual playoff team at full strength and find out last night we did that yeah we played a playoff team in dallas and we saw some of the holes especially when we're not hitting shots yep so I just think I just thought it was important to give a little bit of context, even though it seemed obvious. It's not always obvious when you're kind of riding high on, on a lot of victories. So yeah, 
That yeah, I agree with you 100%, but I do think there's something to be said for beating teams you're supposed to beat because you see teams, good teams all the time. If you were a follower of the grit and grind era, this happened literally all the time is you lose to teams that you're supposed to beat and that's a positive trend that without your leader, without your best player, even though the other team maybe not at full strength either. We still took care of business and in a west that is tight as this one you absolutely have to take advantage of those. You have to win the games that you're supposed to win um, and sneak out a few that you're not. Um, and we've done that. Like, we've we've done that so far. Um, but, yeah, like, tonight's going to be tough. Uh, Full-strength Lakers squad without without Jaw is going to be difficult, to say the least. Um, but, at the, yeah, same time, you take these wins with a grain of salt. Yeah. So, let's, let's talk about it, though. As a grain of salt? Yeah. <laughs> With a grain of salt. With a grain is. of salt? Yeah. Either one. We know what you're saying. Salt. <laughs> uh, what stuck out to you as far as the last, you know, five, six games as far as just performances of guys stepping up? Um, there's a couple in particular that I have in mind, but before we get into it, what are, what's what's the main one in your head that you feel like when you've been la- watching these games without John Morant, yeah. uh, who you've seen step up? Um. To me, it's two guys, kind of three. Uh, it's kind of four. It's like everyone's kind of done a little bit. But to me, the biggest thing is Jaron becoming like the the guy. Um, you could make the argument that Bain has been the guy during this stretch as well, and I probably wouldn't push back a ton. But I feel like Jaron's whole mentality has changed, and I, Bain's always has kind of has the mentality that he has now opportunities may not be as much because you know other guys are getting the ball and stuff like that but Jaron has it seemed like yeah he's changed his mentality he is taking people off the dribble with like aggression he is driving to the basket when in doubt he's basically just like I'm going to the hoop and he's getting there um he's finishing well um I want to say the stat was before last night he was flirting with like 50 40 90 in the past like eight games or something like that like that's wild also, defensively, he is now showing that promise that everyone saw to him when he was coming out of the draft. This, like, versatile defender. Even if you look at last night watching the game when Steven Adams was in and they ran the pick and roll, like, there was no switch involved at all. You know, Adams was trying to hedge and get back while the defender tried to fight over the screen. With Jaron, they were switching everything because Jaron can do it. He can handle the switch up front on the perimeter, hold his own, he has just kind of like he's just really kind of looked like that dude that we wanted him to look like um, the last few games. So I would I would say him primarily. Yeah, absolutely. I thought so too. I mean, it's almost interesting because Ja is such a heliocentric player. Everything runs through him. We have noted his usage rate on this podcast, uh, speaking about this season in particular and how. Uh, the offense is running through Ja, which if 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 that's if that's the case, you're going to be at some level successful. I think we have to also recognize though that it has to be a little bit more difficult when you know that there's a guy you're going to defer to on most possessions. And Jaron is also a guy that I feel like has been um, he's always been willing to take a shot from beyond the arc. Whenever he has a little bit of space, which is great, and I think that's one of his best assets, he's he hasn't always been willing to um, to risk getting to the rim. 
uh, in a possession and taking a possession over when John Moran is also on the floor with him. And so I think it was really interesting to see the way he, he it felt as though he had a certain freedom to do what he wanted because there was nothing to lose. He right. didn't have anybody necessarily to defer to. And I think that's an interesting, I think there's an interesting discussion to see how, when Ja comes back, what, how will that translate? And is that confidence still going to be there or how is that adjustment going to be made? Now I actually did some research here on, I, w- I was interested in how, so Ja is taking over 18 shots per game this season. Now that's a lot of shots to then redistribute uh, throughout a team. Now, interestingly enough, the top three guys you would think, who are the top three guys you would think would take those shots if Ja is not in the game? So Jaron, Bain, and Dylan are yes, my three Yes, those guys. are the top three. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're also the leaders. They round out the top four in shot attempts anyway uh, when Ja's on the floor. Uh, those three guys, I expected to see at least like two shots each, maybe of an uptick, stayed flat. Hmm. Really, it was the guys like Tyus, guys like Brandon Clark, Santi Aldama took a couple more. But oh, overall, it's a yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's the other part of, about this: we have to qualify this data. It's a small sample size because it's only been. When I was looking at it yesterday, it was five games. So you could add in this six. That's probably going to change it slightly. But what you're seeing is overall, we actually took. You know, up to I, I believe it was around sixteen to seventeen less shots in the last five games than we have been throughout the whole season. Yeah. So that apparent, I mean, that's right around where Jaws' uh, volume was, and so we were taking less. And I think it's because the games were a little bit slowed down, and uh, you saw a little bit more of a de- defensive uh, battle in each of those games. A lot lower scoring than what we're averaging. And the other part about it is, is that our efficiency was just up. Like Jaron before last night was shooting 48% from three in the last five games. Mm. And so on the season, he's, uh, I can pull up what I have for Jaren's when it loads. I believe he's in the, he's in the mid thirties, mm-hmm. uh, 36%. So on the season there. And so there, that's a huge difference. 36 to 48, especially from beyond the arc on a guy that's shooting at the volume that Jaren is. And Desmond Baines hitting more shots. Dylan was hitting about the same, uh, and but then you had to have guys like Tyus. He he had the biggest jump in shot attempts, which makes sense because he's starting in Jaws in Jaws' place. Yeah. So I mean, but I thought that was really interesting because it made me think no, that is. if if Jaw does come back, it's not like those guys now have to cut back on their volume. It's going to be about the same. Yeah. So and we're winning differently um, is another thing. So outside the Kings win, where we actually scored 128 points, which is wild. These are our points per game and the Thunder at 152. So maybe this point isn't a great one. But 98 against the Raptors, 97 against the Mavs when we beat them, and 105 against the Heat. Those are low, score, low, low scoring games in the modern NBA. Um, our opponents, the Heat scored 90, the Mavs scored 90, the Raptors scored 91. Um, that's wild. So we are winning differently without jaw versus with jaw with jaw to start the year our defense was atrocious but our offense was unreal both of those kind of started to regress and progress i guess towards the mean um but now they've almost flipped we're like the offense has not been sky high but the defense has been number one in the league during that win streak yeah um so we're winning differently. Steven Adams seems to be kind of rounding into form a little bit more on the defensive side of things. I think, like you mentioned, he had a string of double-doubles, 
which is great. Which I think is connected to the pace. Yeah, because if probably he's running so, out yep. in transition, he's not going to be a guy who's going to benefit from that. Right. But if you're playing in the half court, he's going to get those like against the Heat. They they had no one who could box them out when Bam yeah. wasn't there. He had his best game of the season, in my opinion, yeah. against them because so Dwayne Dedman was the rebounds. starting center and right. Stephen Adams was just I think he had like six or eight offensive boards that right. game, just living on the glass. Exactly. Um, I want to give Dylan some love too. Um, obviously, I think everyone saw that he had eight assists in one of those games. Um, I want to say it was against the Heat, right? Oh, I, uh, I'd have to look it up. Okay, but we'll it's double one check of them, it. So. Just from watching him last night and just through this little win streak, we really, like, our, our backup point guard right now, Bain, essentially just stays in the game and runs point. So we really have one traditional point guard on the roster when Jaw's not in. Um, and you could argue your like best secondary ball handler is Kyle, who's also out. Um, we're really missing Justice Winslow right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it was in the Heat game. Okay. Right. Um, but watching him like come off of a pick and roll and make like one handed live dribble, skip passes to the corner, and like making proper reads, doing like these little bounce passes to Stephen Adams on the on the short roll. Dylan has truly had, like, he's talked about this in several off seasons. I think now it's finally like we're seeing the fruits of it. It's him working on creation and passing and being able to make a play, whether that's a kind of live dribble or pick and roll or even a design something. He's making those passes and he's doing it with like both hands. Like, he looks like a good passer. Um, the stats may not back that up as much, but the eight assist game was pretty impressive. No, it definitely. And then just watching it with the eye test, you can just tell. He's way more comfortable in those situations, and he's making the correct read. And without Ja, we have to have multiple guys that are able to do that. One thing to look forward to in Ja's absence is Jaron doing that, which he hasn't at all, really. Um, Jaron just gets the ball and basically just puts his head down and just gets to the rim, which is also awesome because he right. hasn't really been doing that a ton before. It's either either been like a duck-in post-up or kind of like a set-up three, or he'll kind of get the ball and dribble around out front, kind of try to set his guy up and take him off the dribble. Um, But he is now, like, he's just putting his head down and getting to the rim, which is awesome. But the next step for Jaron, we've talked about this in the past, especially when we need more creators on the floor, especially with, like, second units when, Mm -hmm. like, Jaron, because sometimes we'll go, like, a full bench unit and Jaron out there or something like that um, with, like, Conchar, who can't create his own shot, Santi Aldama, who can't. Tilly who can't like you have guys that are very dependent on creation it would be awesome to see Jaron kind of making that step forward too during this time when he's kind of needed to do it yeah and you're also going to see with him being such a such an amazing shooter behind the arc you're going to see a lot more guys close out on him which means he's going to have a lane yeah then somebody else is going to come from help side and he's going to have you know it's going to be four on three at that point and so it will be that's a great progression that hopefully will happen in this game uh if not this season then the next couple of seasons but dylan brooks i would say that if you had to choose one part of his game to improve before the season started apart from him just being a little bit more efficient on his shot it would be distribution because that's the one thing that he hasn't necessarily shown and i am definitely seeing it i mean in the ways that he's and he had some time. You could it just felt forced in the last few years when he did do it. It was on transition, uh, making a lot of easier passes. But now he's actually seeing things quicker, quicker, which I think is um, really impressive. And then finally, I want to give a 
a shout out to Melton. He had a great game against the Mavericks when they didn't have Luke and Porzingis. Mm-hmm. Uh, just different guys stepped up each each time, and he he's he struggled like like we said last night shooting a little bit. But um, and then finally John Conchar against the Thunder. I mean, it's just a highlight reel. You want to go back and watch. I mean, he's just throwing down just hammers uh when we're up like 60 to try to get to the nba records but it's it's kind of like when people talk about the grizzlies are like 10 to 11 deep and we have every guy like on our roster can play (laughs) that is a prime example because we were running out all bench units and still just killing the thunder just killing them it's true um fun last stat that it was very it was making the rounds after the the Miami win, we had gone 20 straight quarters without trailing, uh, which I think was second all time as far as the streaks go. So we're just setting all kinds of records here. All kinds. Um, all right. You made it to the point of the podcast with the promo code. Congratulations. You are now eligible to receive 7.3% off your order from grizzden.com by using the promo code Jitty, J-I-T-T-Y, Brantley and Ty obviously let me pick out this promo code. Again, 7.3% off your next order at grizzden.com using promo code Jitty, J-I-T-T-Y. Okay, so I want to get to two other things, and one of them was that there was a report that came out this week about the Indiana Pacers, they have started to formally open up talks uh, to trade their, I would say, three of out of their four, you could argue three out of their five main guys, which are Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, and Karis LeVert. Uh, so now the most popular trade machine uh, thing to do is to try and find a trade that would work to bring one of those three guys to your team before I throw out a theoretical trade for the Grizzlies, Ty, if you had to choose between the three of those players, who would you choose as far as just a fit for the Grizzlies? Let's not get into the financial implications yet, maybe, but more sure. so just a fit from personnel standpoint. Sure. Financially, they're all... They're, Lavert and Turner are making $17.5 million, two years left. Sabonis is $18.5, three years left. Right. So when you put when you think about them in trades, they are all very equal financially. As far as who I'd want, I'll tell you this: I'll tell you who I want or who I least want, and that's Lavert. Amen. Which some people are very opposite in that. Um, I would much rather have either of Sabonis and Turner over Lavert for sure. The reason is because Lavert is a ball stopper, and I do not see him and Dylan Brooks being able to coexist on the same unit and you're not going to pay Karis LeVert $18 million to come off your bench for our team. You're just not going to do it. If you're getting LeVert, you're getting him to start, you would imagine. Um, He would be the second highest paid player on our roster as it currently is constructed next year with Jaren's, you know, kicking in, but still. So I don't, I don't think LeVert, I don't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's also a lot older than you think he is. Um, he's also had some pretty significant injury history. So to me, the two questions, and I know you have a trade scenario, so I'll, I'll kind of let you go from here, but to me, the two, it's either Sabonis or Turner, and you could make a very, very good argument for either one of them. 
I will say Turner is probably more gettable than Sabonis because Sabonis has made an all-star team. He's younger. Um, people would just say he's better. He's flat out better than Turner. But I think Turner is very interesting if we're trying to go this like switchable, crazy, versatile unit of guys that can stretch the floor, defend the rim. Very interesting there, Turner is. And apparently, Indiana's been shopping him for quite some time. So it doesn't seem like it would take a ton to get him. Yeah. I think uh, Sabonis, to me, is an ultimate floor raiser. He's got he's he's a twenty and ten. I mean, when he wakes up in the morning, if not more, he is in an offense with let's say Jaron Jackson. He's a little bit shorter than Jaron, I believe, by just like two or three. They're inches. both six eleven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Sabonis and Turner. Yeah. Um, Sabonis is weighs two forty. Turner weighs two fifty, and they're both twenty five. Sorry, I thought. Sabonis just came in the league later than Turner, so I thought he was younger, but they're both 25. So, I mean, theoretically, you could see a scenario where Sabonis hangs out on the block in the elbow. Jaron is uh, on the outside. However, the the issue that the Grizzlies have had, specifically this season, isn't necessarily on the offensive end. It's more of a defensive issue. And so when I'm looking at a trade that's going to bring somebody back to the Grizzlies— Unless they're a clearly, um, I, I guess you could say, elite offensive talent, I am going to look first at the defense. And I do believe that Miles Turner provides more of an upside in that way. Uh, and he, like you said, is going to be a little bit more uh, available, uh, costs a little bit less. And you're not necess- I think you're going to pay more of a fair price for him. You might not pay too low of a price, but. I think it's really interesting concept to think about him and Jaron being your four and five because both of them have they're an outside threat. Jaron a little bit more than Turner, but Turner can shoot, mm-hmm. and they're both uh, threats to protect the rim. I, better, I would say, from weak side, especially Jaron. I think Turner is a little bit better than him one on one on the block right now, as it currently stands, because he's a little bit older and yeah. has filled out. Uh, but just to, both of them together is a really interesting concept to me. And so that's sort of where I, I gravitated to when I was looking at fake trades. And I was trying to think about it from Indiana's perspective. Of course, when you're going into a rebuild, we did this with the Conley trade. What do you want? You want draft picks, and you also want one young player, and then the rest you can figure out from a salary filler perspective, but you're not going to want to take on money. And so... That leaves a few guys off the table who still have some more years on their contracts, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that Steven Adams, there's ever a situation where they're going to take back Steven Adams just because he's owed so much next year. And so I think you have to look at guys who are expiring. Now, who's expiring on our team? You have Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, Jarrett Culver. Out of those three, you have Malcolm Brogdon on their team. You also have TJ McConnell that are both signed. So I don't think there's going to be interest in Tyus for them. But I do think there could be interest in Kyle and Jarrett Culver, but more so, you know, they could potentially have a situation where they extend Kyle if they don't want to completely bottom out. He's he's a good player to have on your roster. I'm not sure how much he's going to be asking for right now. He hasn't gotten an extension yet from the Grizzlies. Uh, that's going to be a really interesting topic of conversation for us. But for right now, what I'm thinking is Jarrett Culver and Kyle Anderson are the two expirings in the deal that get you to that 17 Who's the young player 
that you throw in. I think that they would want Xavier Tillman more than they would want hmm. Brandon Clark. He Tillman is a little bit younger. I think he's actually two or three years younger, so not just a little bit younger. He better is contract, too. Better contract situation. He also, I believe, has more, in as far as development goes, more of an upside than Brandon. I think we kind of realize what Brandon is at this point, and he's good at what he does, but I think they're going to want somebody that's a little bit more of long-term uh, security, so Tillman there, and then they're going to want a first-round pick. My guess is they would ask for the L.A. pick because L.A. is going to be worse than Utah, but mm-hmm. we would offer the Utah. Mm-hmm. I put the Utah in. So Kyle, Jarrett Culver, Xavier Tillman in a first from U- the Utah first for Miles Turner hmm. is, is the deal on the table. What that does is it takes away about $15, 16000000 from your cap space for next year. This is basically your free agent move Yep, because – we're going to have to make a decision on how we want to use that space. If we do make this trade, though, it allows us to function as an over-the-cap team next year, which opens up some exceptions and allows you to essentially sign another Kyle Anderson-level guy. Right. Um, and so if not, then we're going to be under the cap, and it it is actually... It, you could argue both ways. Do you want more cap space to potentially sign somebody with a larger contract, or you... Do you want to kind of, this would basically be kicking the can down the road a couple more years because Turner's going to expire after next year. So it's not a long-term play, but it's something right. interesting to see if it, if it can fit. So No, that's a great point. Um, you're right in that it would be kicking it down the road, but that following year we would have all the space if we wanted to, wanted to have it. Because if we don't trade Steven Adams in this scenario, that's 17 expiring. If we don't re if this happens and we don't re up Turner for an extension, there's another 17 million that we would free up there. Dylan would be up after that year, um, so it'd be a lot if we don't extend him. Um, so we could have a lot on the table. I think, I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. I, I hadn't even thought about Tillman um, in trades, not because like I just feel like a team wouldn't like seek him out, but maybe they would. Um, it's when I said when I think young player. So a guy that I kind of thought of is Melton. What if it was like Kyle and Melton and like a first for this year and that netted you Turner and something else, like something small. I don't know what that would be, Tory Craig or something like that. Um, I don't know what that would look like. But for Turner, again, people have knocked his name around for a long time. So clearly his value is a little low. So maybe Melton's too much. One point I wanted to make just about Turner in general, kind of versus Sabonis. If John Moran is your starting point guard, you have to have the utmost quality at protecting the rim. Because our perimeter defense is going to be hard to keep people from the paint. Not only are you going to have to protect the rim, you're also going to have to be versatile with your bigs. You're going to have to be able to switch because they're going to put, hit, put John pick and roll all night long when it becomes playoff time, winning time, stuff like that. You saw it with Jonas. He couldn't do it. We had to play drop, and Utah just murdered us because they would just come off a screen, hit a three. Come off a screen, hit a three. If you have Turner and Tripp on the floor, A, at the same time, B, another really cool, is one of them on the floor at all times. 100%. You have a switchable big that can stretch the floor, which Ja really needs, or not needs, but flourishes with a big who can stretch the floor. Turner is shooting 40% from three this year. He's a 35% career three-point shooter. It's pretty impressive for a center um, or power forward, however you want to say it. Uh, 
Another thing that I saw kind of bounce around Twitter that I thought was really interesting, um, I want to say a uh, friend of the pod, Hardlicka, was saying this. Take a drink. Yeah. It's not necessarily the certain like position in need. It's more so skill set in need. And that skill set is a bigger player, whether that's a wing or a power forward or a stretch forward, whatever that looks like, that is versatile on defense, it can stretch the floor on offense. Whether that, like I said, whether that comes from a three, a four, or a five, that is kind of what we need to be looking for. That is what we're looking for, that we drafted Zyra Williams because he could turn into that, right? Santi Aldama, we literally drafted another 6'11 guy who potentially can stretch the floor and kind of run some stuff on offense. We're looking for those kind of guys to put on our team. So to me, if Turner can be had, I think I really think we should do it. I think we should try to do it. Yeah. He's 25 years old. He fits within our window. You would think he would only get better at shooting. He's just an amazing rim protector and can do a lot on the defensive side of the ball. And it just fits with what we're trying to build around. He really does fit. I know he's not the wing perimeter defender that ideally we would want, like the Paul George types, which when teams have them, they don't become available. You yeah. have to draft them. Like that's you, exactly. you have to hope Zaire turns into that. Because you're not – like we would never be able to pry away OG Ananobi from Toronto. Like he would be perfect for our team. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Like those type players just don't exist. But Turner apparently could be a possibility. So to me, I think I would have I would rather have him over Sabonis, as crazy as that may sound, because Sabonis serves at a huge benefit as an offensive hub, but he wouldn't be needed as that as much on our team, I don't think. Yeah. I think what's needed is crazy good defense, versatile defense, and a, a player who can stretch the floor. Yep. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. And uh I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens with those guys. Uh we could see it extend till the trade trade deadline. So I mean it's not like it's gonna happen tomorrow. But uh it's something to keep your eye on if you're a Grizzlies fan. Uh Turner's Turner is starting to get a little vocal though. He did yeah. have like something where he said the other day, I don't feel like I'm valued here. Um so I mean it seems like he's kind of wanting a fresh start as well. And when your name has been in trade rumors forever, dating back to the Gordon Hayward when he was going to leave Boston, sign-in trade thing that Boston turned down because they didn't want Turner, which is wild. Like, you know about that stuff. You hear about that stuff, and you don't like it. Right. Um, so I w- it would not shock me whatsoever if he's moved. But there are teams out there that can offer more. I've always heard the – or not always, but I've heard Golden State is like a big team that would use Turner, and they could throw Moody – one of their, you know, younger guys, something like that, and get him, and that makes, like, a ton of sense. And I'm sure that the Pacers would take a first-rounder in Moody over, like, Kyle Anderson, and maybe they would want Melton in that scenario. I don't know. That's why I think Melton name could pop up in these type discussions. I feel like it's easier to find, like, a 6'2 kind of combo guard that can do a lot of things than it is a 6'11 guy who shoots 40% from three. Yeah, I think for me, if I'm thinking about just how teams rebuild, and this this can be our last point on this, but the uh, it's just that Melton is the type of guy I feel like you 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 don't get if you're if you're looking to bottom out completely because he's good enough. Good point. Yep, and so he's not expiring. He's on a three year deal, so he's on your team for a while. Yep. So if you're gonna have a guy who's a young player, which you want young players, that's why you're trying to make these trades to, in order to get young assets. But to me, it makes more sense to have a guy who's not on his second contract yet. Um, hello to my dog in the background. All right, last point here. 
Saturday night is a huge game for the Grizzlies, and it has nothing to do with what's happening on the floor. It has everything to do with what's happening in the rafters, and that's because Zach Randolph's jersey is going to be retired this Saturday night. Um, If you are a newer Grizzlies fan, uh, let's say John Morant era and forward, then you've you've probably heard about the impact of Zach Randolph in the core four, but if you were a fan about a decade ago, you really got to live it. And it was the first, uh, I would say, actual relevancy for the Grizzlies as a franchise, and it took them over 15 years to get there. Zach Randolph was the reason why the Grizzlies were put on the map as a legitimate franchise and he brought us the very first playoff win, the first playoff series win, and led the team to our first conference finals berth. And it is hard to overstate his impact on not only the team, but the city of Memphis. And the newest documentary that came out about him you can search for it on YouTube. Just type in Zach Randolph documentary. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's about an hour and 15 minutes, and it highlights not only what he did on the court for the Grizzlies, but a large section is dedicated to what he did in the community, and he had a true heart uh, for the city of Memphis, but also just those in need, because at one point in time in his life, he was in need, child of a single mother, um, that couldn't always make ends meet and his work in the community has just it it's really really cool to see so I'd encourage you to check out the documentary as soon as you can but if you can make it out on Saturday night you're going to witness history it's the very first jersey the Grizzlies have ever retired and uh it's going to be extremely exciting uh to see Zebo back in the grindhouse and uh you should check it out this has been Another episode of the Grizz Den Podcast. Thank you, Ty, for joining us. Go Grizz. Go buy our sweatshirts. They're dope. Let's go, Grizz. Merry Christmas and have a happy new year. We'll be with you before the year ends, uh, and we'll talk to you soon.